Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. So one, who has believed our message? Two, who is delivering the message? And these aren't questions that I'm just pulling out of a hat. These are biblical. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, asked these very questions. And I want to share with you two verses from Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 16. They read like this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? But not all of the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Paul the Apostle wasn't making a new saying. He was writing from the Old Testament. He was lifting, he was quoting from Isaiah chapter 53, where Isaiah asked this very question, who has believed our message? But Paul had began with some more basic questions, didn't he? I read three of them. How can anyone believe if they have not heard? How can they hear unless there is someone bringing the message? And how can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? That was the most basic of all. These three questions, I I distill them down to just who's bringing the message? Who's delivering it? And I want to look at these two this morning. Who has believed our message? Who's bringing the message? Who's delivering it? And I want to begin with where Paul pulled this quote. Isaiah chapter 53. Now, we've been reading together as a church through the Bible this year. It's been a great experience. I'm still hearing uh, people give testimony of how wonderful it is that we're together and we talk about it. And Isaiah 53 was part of our reading last week, last Wednesday. And if you haven't joined in, join in. You can start right where we're at. You can just carry on, pick up where we left off, or pick up where we began in January. You could do that in January 2019. But we have the schedule on the bulletin every week. You can download the entire thing for the year off the website. But come on, because the Word of God's powerful. Isaiah chapter 53 is powerful. I want to read the entire chapter this morning to give us context about what was Paul talking about when he pulled this one line from Isaiah chapter 53. So let's read it. It's 12 verses, so it's not not very long. It begins with the question, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he has poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. There's Isaiah 53, and it's one of those standout chapters from the Old Testament. It's one of the standouts from the book of Isaiah, along with several others that describe Jesus Christ with detail and with accuracy. Jesus is presented here in Isaiah 53. He's presented as the root out of dry ground. For centuries, for years and years, the nation of Israel, they longed for help from God. They longed for the promised one, the Savior, the Messiah, for centuries. It seemed that God had gone silent. The prophet's mouths, after the close of the Old Testament and the book of Malachi, it seemed like nothing was coming from God. The mouths of the prophets were shut. They had been muted. Then out of the wilderness comes one saying, make straight the way. That was John the Baptist. And then this spiritual ground that was dry and parched, up from it comes this tender shoot. In this little stable in the town of Bethlehem, a little town, Jesus is born. And he is one who was despised and rejected. The New Testament gospels document for us how often Jesus was despised and rejected. How those who hated him sought to kill him. Once they tried to stone him. Another time they tried to push him over a cliff. They threatened him with death. He was held in low esteem by many. 
until ultimately his very own people, they tried him under false pretenses. They convicted him of a capital crime. They tortured him. They executed him in the most excruciating and uh, cruelest of ways. They crucified him on a cross. He was cut off from the land of the living. Jesus died. He was mercilessly killed. And we read, yet who of his generation protested? Well, we know his followers scattered. He died with the wicked. Criminal on the right hand, criminal on the left hand. Though he did receive the tomb of a rich man, and he had done no violence, he had uttered no deceit, and Jesus did it of his own accord. He willingly submitted his life. He willingly submitted himself to his captors and to his executioners, led like a lamb to the slaughter. Now, why would he do such a thing? Why would Jesus do such a thing? And there is the answer. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah spelled it out. He said that he took our pain. He bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that we deserved. The punishment that brought us peace with God. That was laid upon Jesus. The pain and the suffering. And the eternal uh, hell that we were to inherit and that we deserved, we were saved from that. We were healed as it were, healed by his wounds. And why? Why did he do it? Isaiah said it was the Lord's will. It was the Lord's will to make his life an offering for sin. This was the plan of God something difficult for us to comprehend and understand, but it was the the plan of God by the grace and the love God had. He saw fit that the life of Jesus would be laid down for the sin of all, for any and all who'd gone astray. And what does the word say in Isaiah? All have gone astray, every single one. They need that. They need that cross. They need that cross that can save them from hell, death, and the grave. They need that cross that can heal them and cure them of things like bitterness, like we already heard. The the cross of Christ can do these things. But Jesus didn't lay dead in the tomb. There was the resurrection. He died on the cross, and Isaiah wrote, he would see the light of life again, and he would have offspring. What does that mean, he would have offspring? Them that believe that Jesus died for him. Isaiah wrote, he was the offering for sin. And we know when we receive what Jesus Christ has done for us, we become children of God. There's the offspring. Isaiah 53, it's a presentation of the very foundations of our faith. Some say all we need is the book of Isaiah. We don't need the gospels Christ has presented. We could even come down to one chapter and see Jesus so clearly. It presents to us how one man, one man, Jesus, who is God in the human flesh, would win a pardon for sin and a penalty owed by all. The prophet describes to us how you and me, how any, win this pardon from sin by the one 
the one and only Jesus, the only way Jesus. And we might boil this message down, chapter 53, to three words, one by one. We are one by one Jesus. Our salvation was won by him and him alone. Now, Isaiah used a few more words than that, but he was still fairly succinct there in Isaiah chapter 53. He and all the Old Testament prophets, they spoke of Jesus. They pointed to Jesus. And this is attested to in the New Testament. We know it. The New Testament tells us this is what the prophets were doing. In chapter 1 of Peter's first letter, he wrote that the Old Testament prophets spoke of the grace that was to come through Jesus Christ, and that the prophets were pointing to Jesus and predicted these sufferings that he would endure and the glories that would follow. So the prophets of old were presenting the gospel message. They brought this message of hope. They brought this message of light and life and truth. They prophesied a message of reconciliation with God, peace with God, truth and grace, the message of salvation and eternal life. And Isaiah 53 is a beautiful presentation of this, but it's also brutal. It's beautiful, but it's brutal. The brutality of the suffering, the brutality that Jesus was going to endure, it's pictured. It shows us as him being the one that was going to carry sin and the transgressions of mankind. Talks about how he was going to be despised and rejected. This tender shoot that was going to come up through the parched, dry ground, it was going to be crushed. The gentle lamb slaughtered. All for a reason, though, to win eternal life. It's brutal, but it's beautiful. And it's beautiful to all of us who receive it because it's the message that offers us peace with God for eternity, forever. It's a message that offers us a way out of bitterness, a way out of strife, a way out of uh, anxiety. Jesus Christ won this for us. But Isaiah knows, as beautiful as this message is, as wonderful as this message is, as amazing as it is, there are not many who received it. And he lamented that at the open of Isaiah 53. Such an amazing message. Yet the prophet cries out. We can maybe hear the pain and the strain in his voice. Who has believed our message? This is the message of God's amazing love. There's one that wins you pardon from sin. He'll take you from hell to heaven. There is one that wins you from the penalty. You gain eternal life. Who has believed our message? Sadly, tragically, there are many who do not believe. There were many in Isaiah's time who did not believe. And there are many who still refuse to believe. Isaiah had been working tirelessly at this point, perhaps 40 years in his ministry. So he's seen a thing or two. And he understands. 
There are many who haven't. It's a rhetorical question somewhat he puts out there. Who has believed? Because he saw the results after bringing God's message for so many years. People were refusing it. He had said earlier, if you've read Isaiah 51 and 52, wake up, wake up. He knew the people were sleeping. And so many of them. He had earlier said, Judah, you are like the sands on the seashore. There's so many of you. Yet only a remnant, he says. Only a remnant. That pictures this enormity of people. Sand on the seashore. But the remnant is just a sliver who have come to believe. Wake up. Wake up. You've been blissfully sleeping. Even though his message has gone out over and over, who has believed? Not many at all. But the message must go out. Now we fast forward about 800 years to the time of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament where he reiterates what Isaiah said in Romans 10, 16. Who has believed our message? But Paul presented the more basic questions, right? How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? How can they believe in someone whom they've not heard about? How can they hear without someone preaching the message? So there in Paul's queries is our second most basic question. Who is delivering the message? Who's bringing it? How can they hear without someone bringing the message? Someone. One. Like we heard from the video this morning. Just takes one. And it might even be one who's behind the scenes. How can they hear without someone bringing the message? The apostle, in a few short words, he has depicted for us the plan of mankind to receive salvation that was won by Jesus Christ. Now, of course, God can miraculously reveal himself to anyone he chooses. He doesn't need someone to bring the message. And we know that in instances like the burning bush, Moses was minding his own business and there's a bush burning. God's revealing himself to him. God's talking to him. Paul, the apostle that wrote this, he was struck down by a bright light. He had an amazing conversion. Why? Because God came directly to him. But that is not the norm. That was the exception. The general way for the kingdom of Jesus to advance is laid out there in Romans 10, 14. How can anyone believe unless someone is sharing the good news, unless someone is bringing that gospel message, unless someone is telling another about Jesus Christ and all the great things that he has done? Now, of course, the Holy Spirit is involved. 
Yes, the Spirit of God draws people and he works on their hearts and we don't get the credit when another one comes to the Lord. We're being used as his vessels and he wants to use us. God wants to use someone, someone, an individual as a vessel of blessing to bring the message of Christ's salvation to the rest of the world. So I have a question for you. Are you a someone? One. I got one. I got one. All right. All right. Now, are you a someone? Yes, of course you are. Each one of us are one. We are an individual that can be used by God to enlarge this remnant, to advance this kingdom that God has started, to change this remnant from a few to more. We're focusing on our missions this month because our heart is that the word of God should spread. It's biblical. It was the commission of Jesus Christ that the word would go forth, not just in in one small place, but far and wide, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, each one of the missions that we support, they could be considered one, one unit. Yet in all of those organizations... We'll hear testimonies after mission trips. We'll hear hear testimonies when those missionaries come here and visit us that what occurs on a frequent basis is that it comes down to an individual sharing Jesus Christ, sharing their faith. We were uh, reminded of that when we heard a report from those who went on the mission trip to Ecuador. We are reminded of it when we hear from any of those that have taken a trip, whether it be Ecuador, Mexico, Uganda, Kenya, whether we are hearing from our missionaries from countries in Asia, wherever. The stories generally come down to someone who has made a connection with another. And it's just opened up Jesus. We're reminded of that through our local missions that we support. They offer help and assistance. They provide help uh, to the hungry, to the hurting, the addicted. And the fruit of the kingdom is often in those activities, and it comes down to one-on-one. One-on-one, someone sharing Jesus Christ. And that's the way it works here in the church. I mean, we're all someone. How can others hear? How can they believe unless someone, someone like you, someone like me, we open up the way of uh, truth to a lost and a hurting soul. Today, throughout the world, people's hearts are no different than they were in the time of Isaiah. People number like the sands in the seashore, and they're still rejecting the message. Only a few have really received it. Do you see the sand on the seashore? Do you see so many in need of Jesus? We're not going to be one 
to be used unless our eyes are open to these that need the gospel message. I recently came across a book. It was written by a man named Martin Lamb. He wrote it over 100 years ago. It's a, a book on Christian evangelism. And in this book, the author describes an illustration of a man rowing a lifeboat. As the man rows through the waves of the seas, he has the bow of his boat aimed at a brightly lit cross. The author has captioned this little illustration, I am bound for the kingdom, hallelujah. Now let me read you the description that the author gives to this illustration. The picture presents a robust-looking man out on a wide, deep sea, leisurely rowing along in a large lifeboat, looking skyward and singing lustily as he rows, I am bound for the kingdom, glory, hallelujah. While all around him are hundreds of drowning men and women struggling vainly for life amid the angry billows. But in his selfish joy, he moves leisurely on, singing and shouting hallelujahs, apparently unmoved by the fearful catastrophes that are taking place around him. The look of despair, the piteous cry for help, the sinking to rise no more of one and another and another. But on he rose, and on he sings as his lifeboat remains empty. Now this man in the lifeboat is designed to represent many a professing Christian who suppose he has a good hope and is moving onward to mansions in the skies, but can look on with apparent indifference at the awful peril of the great mass of people around him and make no effort to rescue them. The picture, however, is an unnatural caricature. In the first place, these men and women know that they are drowning and make frantic efforts to save themselves, crying out for aid. Whereas the lost men and women around the average Christian are doing nothing of the kind. They are neither appealing piteously for help, nor even embracing an opportunity that's offered for rescue. If the average Christian today were confronted with such a scene as is described in the picture, he would undoubtedly at once interest himself in the rescue of such anxious ones. And I say that's true. It was written over 100 years ago. still applies today. If we saw a person obviously drowning, we'd likely lend a hand, throw out a line and a life uh, ring. But we are surrounded by those who are sinking and do we really see them? Because they're not crying out. Some don't even know that they're drowning. I'll give you another illustration. It's a contemporary illustration. It was a story I just read in the Macomb Daily earlier this week about something that occurred Monday night. And this is the story. A local father and son were returning home from dinner shortly before 11 p.m. on Monday when they saw a home ablaze on Hartwick near 11 or near 19 Mile in Shaner Roads. The two men went to the house and began pounding on the doors. Undaunted when no one came to the door, they began to break down the front door when the homeowner finally arrived at the door and was told, Your house is on fire. 
Although the garage was fully engulfed and the house was burning, the husband and wife who were sleeping in an upstairs bedroom of the colonial-style home managed to escape without injury. Two guys see the house on fire. They come banging on the door. Any one of us saw a house on fire in one of our neighborhoods. This was right here in Sterling Heights. We would probably respond in a similar way. I start banging on the door. Hey, wake up. Your house is on fire. But do we see the burning houses? Or are we driving by, aiming for heaven, singing, I'm bound for glory, hallelujah, and passing right by those who are slumbering in their burning house? Will we look around and see the drowning? Will we look around and see those burning? Will we stop and render aid? We have a beautiful message. We have a solution. We have got the life ring. We have got the fire hose. We have a beautiful message that takes care of the drowning and the burning. Jesus, who took up our pain and he bore our sufferings, And he made his life an offering for sin. Though he died, he again saw the light of life and he resurrected from the dead and he's alive forevermore and he continues to make intercession for them that believe and call on his name. It's a beautiful message. Who has believed our message? Are you here today and you believe the message? I know I'm I'm in a room full of people that believe the message. Lord, who has believed? Unless the message is being shared, unless we are willing to be the one to share the message, how can any be one to Jesus Christ? We've got this three-word saying, one by one. Unless each of us, individually, one, look to heaven and say, yes, Lord, yes, I am someone. I'm someone, God. Yes, I know I'm insignificant. I'm sure many of us feel insignificant, but Lord, in my insignificance, use me. Use me. Will that be your prayer today? Use me, Lord. I'm someone. Put someone in my path to tell about Jesus. Let me see the burning and the drowning. Let me not pass them by. I'm someone, Lord. Use me as that one. And I want to ask you a sincere question. Do you desire that this morning? Do you desire to be used by God? How are any going to believe? How are they going to believe if they don't hear? How are they going to hear unless one, someone, shares. We can ask the question all day, every day. Lord, who has believed our message? But if we're not sharing the message, the answer's going to be zero. Nobody. The church is not just someone standing at the pulpit sharing this message. No, no. The church is 
the churches, after we leave this building and we go out now, Sunday afternoon, Monday through Saturday night, through Sunday morning, and we're bumping into people, we're bumping into neighbors, we're bumping into, I bumped into a person at the auto parts store in the parking lot. Lady asks me if I'll put the shocks on her car. And she needed help. And I could, I didn't have the time. I said, hey, let me make a phone call for you. Made a phone call, got her set up so that she could get her car repaired. And then we began to talk about the Lord right there in the parking lot of Advanced Auto Parts on Gratiot. And, you know, God does these things. He opens up these opportunities for you to share your faith. I mean, I came home. I didn't know I was going to bump into a lady in a parking lot of an auto parts store, hold her hand, pray with her. It's an opportunity to share your faith. And I'm not saying that because I'm better than anybody. I'm kind of uncomfortable sometimes in that one-on-one. I got to get over myself. I've got to. We all have got to. Are you one? Do you desire to be the one? I'm asking sincerely, and I'm asking you, if you will, to stand your feet and, and let's pray. You know, you, you ask God to to use you sincerely, genuinely. And I trust and believe he'll put people in your path. Eh, their house might be, might be fully engulfed. It might be a five-alarm blaze. Maybe it's just the spark has started. You know, people are at all different places. Some even have faith. They know the Lord. They just need, you know, they need to be encouraged in their faith. They need to have someone to talk to them and just pray with them. There's a a whole seashore of people. Sands like the seashore. They They need us. They need someone. And let's pray. And I will even say, if, if, if you really desire, I want to invite you to even step out of your seat and come forward. And let's, let's join forces to leave this place to be people who are going to share this message, this beautiful message of salvation and grace and love. It's an amazing message. It's the truth. something that we've all received eternal life when we've come to Jesus. I want us to go out of this place boldly ready to share this and win one at a time, one by one. God, you're so good. Lord, you're so good. We're asking for your presence to fall upon our hearts this morning. God, if we've neglected to share Jesus. Forgive us. God, forgive us. If we've been driving by the drowning and the burning, Lord, if we've neglected to see souls that are going to hell and we've not shown them the way to heaven, forgive us, God, but encourage us and embolden us to be those that would share the brightness of the truth of Jesus Christ, the one who won salvation for us, the one who would remove 
bitterness, the one that would save us, the one that would bring us reconciliation with our creator. God, this is an amazing story of love. Help us to be emboldened, to share it, to tell others about it, to see souls, not see people, but to see souls that are drowning, souls that are burning, souls in need. God, they number like the sands of the seashore. They're all around us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, pour into us. Use us. Use us, God. Help us to have that heart of a, of a missionary right in our own house, in our own neighborhood, in our own school, in our own workplace. God, help us to have that heart to share. God, I ask that grace for every single person in here. To those who have been shy, those who have turned the other way, God, show them, use them, bring testimonies. It's so wonderful to see someone yield to Jesus because they've come to eternal life. Thank you, God. Lord, bless everyone here. Bless those who are sincerely desiring this, God. We look forward to your testimonies to come. We look forward to your grace. Now, God, as we leave this building, we ask for you to just do it. We ask for you to put those people in our paths and open our eyes. May that grace abound, Lord. May your loving message go out. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. And we look forward to what you're going to do. We ask it all, Father, in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.